Welcome to Accelerate, the podcast about the startup world. I'm your host, Sawyer Timko. On this podcast, we dive into the depths of different issues surrounding the entrepreneurial journey. From the mountains of investing to the valleys of team building, we strive to shed light on the unknown, the unnerving, and the undiscussed. We all have worked at our accelerator, New Chip, for some time now and straddle the line between the investor, the companies, and the customers. We bring on guests from all throughout the ecosystem to help get more clarity on what's going on here so that you can understand how to approach whatever role you have with new perspectives. Today's guests are Brett Hurt, Michael Byron, and Piper Cochran. Brett Hurt was the keynote speaker for day one of our Q3 Demo Day, which brings together hundreds of founders and investors from all over the world for a two-day event showcasing some of today's most promising startups. Michael Byron is the CEO of Altus Biosystems and is here to talk about what it's like running a biotech company as a U.S. Army veteran. Piper Cochran is the CEO of the Organic Candy Factory and talks about how her and her daughter were able to bring an organic candy business to market. Let's kick things off with a bio of Brett Hurt. Brett has been programming since age 7, started his first BBS at age 10, an internet game at age 18, and first company at age 24. His most successful ventures have been Coremetrics, Bizarre Voice, and now Data.World. Coremetrics exited to IBM for around $300 million, and Bizarre Voice went public and was valued at over $1 billion and named one of the top five IPOs of 2012 by the Wall Street Journal. Brett has been married for 24 years, and his wife Deborah helped him start Coremetrics back in 1999. She was also instrumental in many behind-the-scenes decisions at Bizarre Voice. Brett says there is no way you would have gotten into the Wharton School to earn his MBA without Deborah's coaching. Brett has two children, aged 15 and 10, a girl and a boy. His daughter has already come out with her first book, and his son is a little computer genius. Our program director, Armando Vera Carvajal, got to take the time to talk with Brett about his journey. Brett Hurt, what a pleasure it is to have you here today. The first key point that I wanted to cover is that often when people think of startup founders, what first comes to mind is that prototypical, young, single, sleep deprived, cookie cutter CEO. Is that changing? Because I feel like I see an article every week about new startups and success stories of founders with families that are 30 plus, even 40 plus. Brett, what do you think about that and what has your experience been on the investor side? Yeah, so that, thank you, first of all, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, That really is a myth. Um, You know, everybody likes to romanticize about Zuckerberg dropping out and, you know, Bill Gates dropping out and Michael Dell dropping out here in Austin. Um, And the reality is that there are very, very few people that will ever have such a compelling idea at such a moment in history and then have the ability at that age to scale into all the various phases of the company and and learn that quickly and that's just it's almost unheard of so you know if you compare yourself to that you're probably going to be sorely disappointed and that's just not the reality. The actual reality is I learned at the Warden School when I was earning my MBA, and there were countless numbers of people coming to speak to us that were successful entrepreneurs, and they were trying to motivate us like I'm trying to motivate the people watching this. That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this to honor the many people that 
have motivated me over the years. I'm a product of many people that have invested in me, including people that don't even know that they invest in me because they were selfless to go to, you know, Warden or UT Austin and present to me and motivate me. And what I was trying to figure out at the Warden School is it was like, well, what do these people have in common? Because, you know, they're all successful entrepreneurs. Sure, that's, they have that in common. But, you know, some are tall, some are skinny, some are short, some are fat, you know, some are, you know, black, some are white, you know, some are Asian, you know, some are male, some are female, um, you know, some act more like a professor, others act more like a jock. I was like, what is it that these people have, you know, like, how are they, what do they have in common? And their ages varied wide, I mean, widely is, you know, you'd have some that would come in that were very young and some that would come in that were in their 50s or 60s. And the only thing that I could figure out that kind of unified them in a common thread, and it's the number one thing that I look for when I'm investing in a startup and an entrepreneur, is they were all incredibly persistent about whatever their cause was. Incredibly persistent. And most of them were also incredibly passionate about it too. And the reason I say most, and I mean by most, I mean like 95 plus percent, is that I got this one time where the founder of Staples came in to Warden and this was after I graduated and I was presenting now at the entrepreneurship conference and, and he was also presenting there. And he said, you know, passion's overrated. You know, everybody says you've got to be passionate. You know, I, I was never passionate about staplers. You know, what I was always passionate about is just like maximizing the business opportunity in that massive market and meeting the customers where they were and all that. And I was like thinking to myself, well, you're still describing passion you're just saying you weren't passionate about the product. But he had all these quips where he said, you know, I'll show you a thousand entrepreneurs that are bankrupt because they're passionate about golf and they open up some small golf retailer and it didn't work out. And, you know, yes, okay, so they didn't have the big market opportunity and everything else, but at least they tried, you know, at least they tried to exercise their passion. So, you know, this, you need to get these myths out of your head there are many examples of entrepreneurs that are successful um, at my age and older. I'm 48. And the company that's going public this year is a company named Snowflake. It's the fastest growing software company in the past three years. It just raised at a $12 billion valuation, the most conservative projections for its IPO in Q3 or Q4, whenever it happens are somewhere between 20 and 25 billion. It's the leading data warehouse in the cloud. It's an improbable story. They were competing against AWS and Microsoft Azure from the beginning. And they were only on AWS, hosted on AWS for many years. And it's led by people that are all older than me. Um, and it was started by people older than me. It was started by people that are industry veterans in the data warehousing and data space and B2B space. So, you know, there are massive market opportunities for people of all ages. And uh, it, it really feels like a miracle when you're successful at the startup. There's lots of 
chapters in my book about how to make it not as risky as the metaphorical, like you jump off the cliff and you build your wings on the way down. That's complete bogusness. That is not accurate at all. The most successful entrepreneurs I've ever met are people that are very planned that, yeah, sure, they've got persistence and they've, they've got the chutzpah to go out there and do it, but they're very planned and they do a lot of research before they start a business. For Core Metrics, Bizarre Voice, and now Data.World, my sixth business as an entrepreneur, I did you know, with the teams about four to six months of research per business idea before even starting it to make sure that it was the right idea. And how did I do that? I went to go talk with people in the industry. I went to go talk with potential customers. I went to go talk with potential partners. I talked with industry analysts to make sure that this is something that was well-timed. And timing is the most important aspect for whether or not a business is going to be successful. Team matters, yes, but if you've got the right market timing, it, it's, it can just be really, really amazing. So Brett, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about your MBA education at the Warden School, one of the most prestigious MBAs to date. Um, how essential was higher education for you to become that successful entrepreneur that you are? And I ask this in the context of entrepreneurship today, where a lot of the status quo or establishment for entrepreneurs and startups says you don't need education to be an entrepreneur or to, to launch a startup go public, have an, an exit. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so I think for me, it was incredibly important. Like for me, going to Warden was a transformational experience. And one of the things that I did after Bizarre Voice went public is for a while, I went to go work at UT events. And I was really trying to motivate a lot of young people there. And I was also trying to kind of follow in my grandfather's footsteps a bit and just see what it would be like to work on campus. And I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as being an entrepreneur, an investor in entrepreneurs, but I enjoyed it a lot. And one of the things that would always happen with that is some of the younger students would come up to me. They'd be a sophomore, for example. They'd say, hey, I'm going to drop out of UT. I have this amazing idea. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Michael Dell. And I would say, look, I really love your ambition. Let's talk about your idea. And I would ask them some probing questions like, you know, how much, how much revenue are you making on it at this point, et cetera. And then I would just tell them a story and I would say, you know, let's, besides the ro romantic nature of the Michael Dell story, let's look at the reality. The reality is that he wanted to drop out and he went to his parents and said, I'm going to drop out with my computer company selling you know computers his parents were doctors so they didn't really understand it um but at that point in time you know maybe he was selling a hundred thousand dollars worth of computers and his dad said okay michael i'll let you drop out if this summer you can sell four hundred thousand dollars of computers or something like that three four hundred thousand dollars of computers and he was just making up a number right something fantastical and I think that summer he did more than twice that. And his dad said, okay, you can drop out. So I would tell them that story because 
you know, that's how good it was, right? It was good enough. It was a good enough trade that it was better than school. And Zuckerberg, you know, Facebook was taking off like a rocket ship, you know, when he dropped out. So I'd be like, look, you're in an ultimate learning laboratory. There are entrepreneurial courses surrounding you. There's the smartest people, you know, you potentially are ever going to be around here on campus. Um, there are all these entrepreneurial clubs. I'm like, you're in an environment where you can't fail. Like you can try anything you want. And if you find something that is growing so fast that it's worth it, then drop out. But don't take a risk that you don't have to take. I personally have not taken risks that I don't have to take. They've been very studied in terms of what I thought I want to start and then validating it. And even then I was you know, wrong sometimes about the timing, it being a little bit too early and everything else. But at least I did a tremendous amount of homework, talking with the market and everything else. Like I said, reducing the risk. And there's a chapter in my book, The Entrepreneur's Essentials, which anyone watching this can get for free on Medium. Um, I gave it away for free, just like Seth Godin gave away his first book, The Bootstrapper's Bible, and uh, the authors of the Clue Train Manifesto gave away their book um, for free. Um, Bizarre Voice is actually named after chapter four of the Clue Train Manifesto, Markets or Conversations, best chapter I've ever read on marketing of any book. And so, you know, I, I just try to encourage them to do their homework and not just kind of drop out. But for me, Warden was that place where I really grew into being an entrepreneur. And for me, it was a learning laboratory. You know, there were a bunch of different things that I started while I was there. They were all small and bootstrapped. You know, there was, you know, the first thing I ever started was a consulting firm doing technology development, a lot of early web applications and things of that nature. And I and it was because I had that skill set and I was able to make a lot of money per hour. You know, it was very unusual to me that I was able to make, you know, 200, 250, $300 an hour doing these projects. I started to employ a lot of board and undergrads. And that was never a business that was going to be a change the world business. It was one where it could have been a nice, you know, consulted business that I could have grown for decades, but it wasn't the big idea. And I was looking for the big idea. And ultimately, when Deborah and I started our e-commerce site, that led to the big idea of core metrics because we needed to have web analytics to really understand what people were doing while they were shopping on our site. And that led to the idea behind core metrics, which grew into a big global company. Um, and then that led to Bizarre Voice, which was a dream come true. And all of that's led now to data.world and, and the great journeys we get to go on alongside many entrepreneurs as we invest in them and hope to help them like we've been helped and so many have helped us. Welcome back everyone to another segment in our podcast, Accelerate. Today, we are joined by Michael Byron of Altus Biosystems. Originally a spin-out of UNC Chapel Hill, Altus Biosystems has developed cutting-edge, patent-pending stem cell technology that recreates the human intestinal epithelium. They build both 2D and 3D cell models that are cracking some really interesting problems. The company is a graduate of the New Chip Accelerator, and they recently did a good-sized round of financing. 
Michael is a former U.S. Army veteran with an extensive business background. He's held positions in sales and project management in the private sector. He also holds a BS in marketing from Penn State University and an MBA degree with focus on entrepreneurship from the University of North Carolina Keenan Flagler Business School. We're going to get down to the details of what it's like to run a biotech startup and find out how Mike is handling the ride so far. Our venture fellow, Fernando Moreno-Cortina, sat down and conducted this exclusive interview. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before we kick it off with more specific questions, could you tell us more about how you ended up uh, being a co-founder of a biotechnology company with no obvious background in the industry? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, from the time that I was little, I knew I always wanted to start my own company. I didn't know exactly what type of company that would be. Um, you know, I, I was in, after I graduated from uh, undergrad, I went into um, project management as well as sales. Uh, then I went into the army a little bit later in life. I was an army officer and, um, you know, I hadn't started a business to that point, but as I was getting out of the army, I decided to go and get my MBA. So I went to UNC Keenan Flagler and what, what my entire purpose for going back was, it was a way for me to transition out of the army and to start my own business. And so my whole focus while I was there was entrepreneurship. And so when I was in my second year of getting my MBA, I ended up meeting Altus's president, who's Chris Sims. And uh, he said, he, it, was a, it was through a program that took you through developing a business plan, essentially. Uh, and he said, look, we need a business person to come on board. We have a great technology and we just haven't been able to get any traction. We're academic scientists and we need a business person to really push this forward. And I told him, look, if you're interested in, in having me come on board and, um, you know, work with you as part of this program, I just want to make sure that, you know, there's a, a place for me after it's over so that, um, you know, if it's right for a situation for Altus and it's the right situation for me, there's, there's a spot for me on the team. He said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I started working with them for about three or four months. Um, we started seeing some traction that they hadn't seen before with some of the larger pharmaceutical companies. And I was able to, to generate some partnerships and they said, hey, look, this is great. Why don't you come on board and, and push this forward and take over as CEO? Um, and so that's, that's sort of how it all came together and, and how it happened. Uh, that was three years ago. And, you know, we're, we're doing really well and, and growing. So um, that's, that's the, the genesis for the story. As, as a follow-up question, what was in your mind when you decided to become an entrepreneur after getting an MBA degree instead of getting a really well-paid job like the rest of your peers in a big corporation with big names and a secure future? Sure. So, you know, I wanted to, personally, I've always wanted to build a company. That's just been my goal from the time that I was little. And so I viewed this as my opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm in a place where I can take that risk because it is a risk being an entrepreneur, you know, for a while. I mean, I was unpaid for a while. So, you know, it, a lot of entrepreneurs are when you first start out. Um, and so it was a, it was a good it was that I was at the right point in time in my life um, in order to do that and have the ability to do that. And I wanted to pursue it. Um, also, I, I viewed Altus as having a really exceptional technology and having the ability to really have an impact for, for the better on the pharmaceutical industry 
um, to help pharmaceutical companies both develop uh, more effective medicine as well as reduce the need for animal testing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, when I joined the army, when a lot of people joined the army, um, at least one of my main goals was, you know, to go in and, and help save lives. And so in my viewpoint, this is accomplishing a very similar mission in a different way, because if we can bring better drugs uh, to market faster because of our platform, then we're, you know, we're saving, either saving, you know, millions of lives or making them better one or the other. So uh, I saw this as a really big victory. Sounds good. And moving on to the future, uh, what were your biggest challenges you faced when fundraising for Altis Biosystem, whether that was before new chip, the new chip program or after new chip program? Sure. So I'll talk about before the new chip program, um, because one, we started getting traction with fundraising right around the time that I joined new chip. Um, and so prior to, prior to joining the new chip program, the really the biggest uh, challenge was, you know, in 2017 and 2018, uh, we really didn't, we had a little bit of traction in the company with pharmaceutical companies, but not lots of traction. Um, and it was because the platform was new. It was in development. It was something that, you know, we had a, a essentially a, a functioning prototype that we needed to validate. And we did that over the first year and a half of the company. Uh, but so when we were trying to raise money earlier on, it was just really, really difficult from the standpoint of investors wanting to invest in a, a company where they knew they, it wasn't an R&D project anymore. They wanted to invest in a company that they knew had a real platform that was going to be of interest to pharmaceutical companies. So um, at, once 2019 hit, we started working with a lot more companies in a much more meaningful way. We started getting repeat customers. We were working with big pharma. You know, we, we work with, you know, half of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies right now. And so uh, one of the big things for us was to get those repeat customers, get into big pharma, get them to bite into it or, or um, you know, give us their seal of approval, uh, give us recommendations to investors. And that really started to turn the table for us. So in late 2019, when we were able to go to investors and say, look, we have, you know, we have all of this non-dilutive um, grant funding that we've received validating the fact that industry experts believe in this technology. We have customers that, um, that are, we have paying customers that are repeat customers, some of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the industry that are working with us. Um, and we have a great team behind this. It put together a much better story in order to uh, give them confidence in the company. Alternative approaches to food products like Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat have swept the nation rather quickly. But what about the food that everyone really craves? Candy. Today, we are joined by the founder and CEO, Piper Cochran, who with her daughter, Ginger, started making organic candy. It doesn't have any gluten, any gelatin, any animal products, and it still tastes amazing. Organic Candy Factory is in a number of stores and is growing rather quickly. Our venture fellow, Jonathan Boyarski, sat down with Piper to get an exclusive look into how one goes about growing a company like this. Hello, everybody. My name is Jonathan Boyarski, and I'm a venture fellow here at New Chip. And today I'm joined by Piper Cochran, who has started her own company that is called the Organic Candy Factory. And she started this with her daughter. She's previously been involved in movies, as both as an actress and as a producer. And she's kind of more recently got involved as an entrepreneur along with her daughter. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her story and then tell us how New Chip has sort of helped out there. So we're, uh, we're excited to have you. Please uh, introduce yourself. 
Thank you, Jonathan. Um, my name's Piper Cochran, owner with my daughter of the Organic Candy Factory. Uh, we started this company when my daughter was five. She wanted to open a candy store, and that was going to be a big challenge because we didn't have the funds. So we started online, uh, started with, I think, five bags. We created the name Organic Candy Factory uh, because she loved Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, little did I know about SEO at the time, but organic candy, whenever anybody typed that in, our company went to the top. And uh, immediately within a few months, we started making sales. Uh, we chose that we wanted to only have an organic candy that was planet safe, um, that was free of the top eight allergens. So a lot of her friends could enjoy them. No dyes, no chemicals, uh, we're vegan. And, uh, What's interesting about New Chip is uh, after doing this for eight years, and I've been sort of winging it, um, doing the best I could with very little business knowledge. Um, but what's interesting about New Chip, which I was very excited to join to take the company to the next level and you know get a business sense of what I was doing, I've learned so much about what I was doing wrong, what I was doing right. But the funniest part to me is having given names to all the things that I was doing. So I have my KPIs, but I didn't know they were called KPIs. I just thought they were called numbers that I put together. Um, so just the lingo alone was very, very cool. I feel, um, sounds silly, but I feel more intelligent on uh, business calls now. Um, with investment calls. I know what they're talking about. I know what, you know, every aspect of a raise it's, it's, you know, knowledge is power. So new chip gave me that. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, it's, I can't, I can't express how grateful I am for the new knowledge I've gained in the last four months. I've actually taken my company in a whole new direction because I understand the business better. Um, I wish I found new chip about five years ago. I'd be a, well, yeah. Multi-millionaire already. <laughs> no, I think that's exactly it. The entrepreneurial journey is full a lot of with a lot of jargon and a lot of words that are just confusing to the average person. So kind of getting explained that, you know, explained to you is really important for just even facilitating conversations with marketers or distributors or suppliers who are asking about okay. these terms and just being able to sound like you know what you're talking about is worth a lot. And it, a lot of entrepreneurs come to us and are you know, kind of have a very specific knowledge or have a very specific idea, but learning all of those business terms and what VCs and angels and investors right. kind of want to hear can be very complicated. But right, and also and also knowing um, how different VCs are from PEs to <laughs> angels. You know, it's it's three different ball games, and so learning uh, the language of all three. Sorry about mm -hmm. that. No worries. No worries. <laughs> My dog agrees. So we started selling at farmer's markets. My daughter was giving 100% of the proceeds to animal charities. And we were approached by this uh, chief strategist for worldwide branding of coffee bean. And that's a chain in California. And he uh, fell in love with the product, fell in love with uh, our mission. And he put us in 190 Californian stores. Wow. Uh, so that really, really put us on the map. Yeah. Uh, Next thing I knew, we were uh, invited to William Sonoma's Artisans Fair, wow. 
which is every Sunday, um, and they let local people sell their product, keep the money, but it sort of gets, you know, the brand awareness out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did so well on sales that they actually uh, contacted corporate, and we ended up in 240 Williams-Sonoma stores uh, nationwide and Canada. Wow. So those two stores really put us on the map. Um, and then every day I'm approaching, whether it's a hotel chain or small mom and pops, um, we're, we're in several mini bars, we're in several mom and pops throughout the nation. Uh, we have a presence on our web, you know, e-commerce website, Amazon. Yeah. Um, so it kind of sort of organically took off. Uh, the yeah. SEO, as I mentioned earlier, helped when people type in organic candy because of our name, it goes to the top. Very cool. So it's really interesting to hear about, you know, one day, you know, you're kind of just selling at farmer's market and then the next, you know, you're in a bunch of stores, 190, and then you said to 240. What was it like affecting the production and distribution and really the whole supply chain? Like, how did you ramp that up? Was it difficult? Did you have the cash beforehand to kind of pay for that up front? Or how did it all work? Um, you know, I definitely got help from family and friends in the very beginning um, to ramp. And then I negotiated with the production uh, manufacturing facility that does our recipe, uh, asked them for terms. It was not easy, but if you're persistent, you can get good terms. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it was not easy, you know. No, <laughs> Entrepreneurship is hard. Uh, the hardest part to me was all the paperwork and the contracts and getting, you know, a contract, a hundred page contract from Williams Sonoma, yeah. you know, and uh, I went down the road of, oh my gosh, if a box is crooked, we're going to be docked, you know, right, right. dollars and all, all of that. None of that really happens. Right. Um, right. Lawyers and all their, their yeah, language. Yeah. It's just very fine. difficult. And, yeah. Right. Very but, cool. uh, but I, I love selling and I think, um, I think that's important in an entrepreneur's, you know, repertoire to love to sell is half the battle. Thank you. Well, yeah. we, uh, it's been great having you on, Thank uh, you, sort of excited to share your story and, uh, we're looking forward to sort of where you can take this company. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just excited that you were part of this program. It was really a net positive and it's so great when we can have entrepreneurs and companies that are sort of, you know, hundred percent in, and it's also cool to see growth as well, which is, you know, an exciting part that should not be overlooked. So thank you for everything. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thanks for tuning in to the Accelerate podcast by NewChip. If you want to learn more about how we're helping founders to fund their rounds, build their businesses, and meet other CEOs, all while keeping 100% ownership in their companies, check us out at newchip.com. We hope you'll join us next time on Accelerate.